What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And as always, a colossal thanks to everyone who supports this podcast, not least the good people on Patreon and the good people on the Bestseller Academy. Speaking of which, Mr. D, what's that I hear? The the creaking of the hinges. The doors are closing on the Academy. We have to rush if we want to get involved. Quick, Absolutely. quick, tell us how. If you want to get involved in the Academy, the doors are closing on the 3rd of September. We are starting <gasps> on the 6th of September. So get your applications in, folks. This is it. Last Chance Saloon to get involved in the academy to start this September, which kind of nicely ties in with the academic year. A lot of people around this time of year, you know, kids are going back to school. We're going out to, you know, stationers and buying buying their pencils for the year. And then we start, sit and, and ask ourselves like, well, what are we doing? Like they're going out, they're getting all this great growth in education. What are we doing to help our our own education as writers? I mean, the podcast obviously is one, one thing that a lot of people do for that reason. But if um, what we found with the academy is it's it's it gives you focus and accountability. I know it's lovely listening to this podcast, but we're not going to be knocking on your doors tomorrow to say, "Oi, how's that first draft coming on, sir?" And accountability is the number one benefit, I think. I mean, there's a lot of great things that you get from being part of a writing school, whichever school it is, whether you go to university or. But even thinking back to when we were kids at school and the teacher had said to us, okay, we need you to write that essay. It's not like that in the academy, but it's having that sense of being part of something where you are declaring your dream and people are saying, you know, I want to write my first draft by this date. You know, we don't, we we don't hold people to it. They don't get kicked out of the academy if they don't do it. But having that extra incentive is, is actually, I think, Mark, the key for so many people to actually getting that book written. Let's just let's just talk about what what the academy has because it's not just courses, but we have courses, lots of courses, books, uh, courses on character and plotting and pantsing and uh, the rule of three and first drafts and stakes and acts and outlining different acts and editors and final acts and all kinds of stuff. But we've also got coaching sessions. So, you know, we have the coaching, craft coaching with me. We have uh, uh, the weekly post podcast chat, which is always fun. So we talk about the podcast before we've got, uh, you know, things like uh, your, your coaching, Mr. D, you know, you have your, your life coaching as well, which is, is, is pretty darn unique. And, you know, it's, it's just an absolute buzz. And we've got this wonderful community 
of writers, some of whom will have been there over here and are staying on with us. And 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 because this isn't just something you just don't tick a box, say, "Oh, I've learned how to write now and move on." This is an ongoing adventure. I've you know I I, I I'm never going to claim I know it all because it, the, the, you can't know it all. This is about finding your tribe, finding your tribe, finding a safe place to write and to share your ideas with people and to share ideas about writing and moving forward. And, and that's why I love it. Yeah. And actually one of the biggest, one of the biggest things I know people suffer from is, is that fear of, of actually putting their work out there to get feedback. And so I think part of the reason why the Academy is so important for that is it's a safe space where you're getting feedback from people who are in exactly the same position from you, but also not on some random Facebook group where there's like, you know, random people showing up and the people in the academy are very like-minded they're they're all focused they all are very supportive but they all have a dream they all do want to create something with their writing and it's that spirit which has really come through for me in the last year and i know that so many people have benefited from getting feedback on their the blurbs for their book their covers and and putting their entire novel up and getting beta readers from people who have also been studying in the academy which means they're also able to kind of give people feedback with a certain level of expertise on certain topics as well over the over the time they've been there so um it's quite unique in that regard um and it's also that you get and this is what something actually very important if you've not thought about doing this you know when you go to one person for feedback you're getting a very narrow view of that person's individual if that person's life happens to be or their their likes around books happens not match what you are writing you might get kind of feedback that doesn't actually uh fill you with confidence but the whole point of getting additional people you you start to get a general sense as to where you're at like an honest kind of review of your work and the honest areas where you can improve it um because there are more it's more than one person giving you feedback so that's been absolutely huge for people um and it's very rare to get that and if you do want to get it you usually have to pay like just even just to get that feedback mega bucks as well um and then if you find a kind of random little facebook group on online not to diss the groups i think they're all awesome but people are not necessarily going through it themselves so there's not that sense of reciprocity where you might be to read for them and they might be to read for you um, but the other things that we offer as well, which have been really useful, are writing buddies. And this has been one of those really big kind of experiments we started about a year ago. But to actually get a writing buddy who you check in with, you know, throughout the week to say, oh, you know, I had a bad writing day today, or I'm really struggling, or I wrote 3,000 words this week, or I wrote 200 words today. So important to know that there's somebody there on a regular basis who can like sympathize, empathize with you you know, be a shoulder to cry on and someone to cheer on as well. It's, it's working brilliantly. So if you want that in your writing life, those are some of the things that the Academy offers. There's too many things to actually talk about really on the podcast, Mark, because we're always introducing new ideas, but um, it's time folks. If you want to get involved, come and join me and Mark. You will get to know us. We'll get to chat with us. You'll see us on camera. We'll see you on camera. And um, it's just the most amazing experience. So pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com um and if you also want to find out more sign up to the newsletter and you'll get the links via email as well so mr stay it's been quite a week you've got something really fun and exciting that you talked about last week that's coming up very soon isn't it yes just a reminder i'm going to be in conversation 
with the mighty Joe Abercrombie at Waterstones Piccadilly in that there London, in in, in London swinging London Piccadilly uh, on Friday, 17th of September at 7pm. And we're going to be talking about his new book, uh, The Wisdom of Crowds, uh, the, the final part of his latest trilogy. And i got to say, he's, oh God, he's such a good writer. And oh. <laughs> this, this just caps it all off absolutely brilliantly. And you know, Joe, it's going to be a laugh. It's going to be lively. It's going to be, you know, you're, if you're a writer, I mean, we interviewed him very early on for the podcast, uh, a cracking episode that people still quote now. Um, but Joe, again, a writer who doesn't sit on his laurels, isn't just doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, this this trilogy uh, has, has really, I mean, it's just gone up a whole level. He's just amazing. So, um, yes, space is limited. Uh, so grab your tickets uh, and I'll pop a, a link in the show notes so you can sort that out and uh, hopefully might see you there. I know a few people have been saying, hang on, I'm in America, I'm in Canada, I can't see it or whatever. Um, I don't know if it's going to be live streamed or recorded or anything like that. So I'll look into that for you and we'll report back. But if you can make it to London, see you there. Definitely. And then if you haven't listened to it, go check out the original interview because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, on the archives, bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the podcasts link and search for Joe, Joe Abercrombie, or scroll that very long list of her. Uh, I'll, I'll, stick a, I'll, I'll, stick a, I'll stick a link in the show notes. There you go. We'll make it easy for you. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And talking <laughs> of amazing authors, amazing authors who have also previously been on the show. Oh, yes. Have we got a treat for you today? I'm so excited about this, Mark. <laughs> this is a brilliant, brilliant interview. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to begin. So you better start, Mark. Tell us remind us about the brilliant Steve Kavanagh. Steve Kavanagh. We've seen this before. (laughs) Steve Kavanagh is the best-selling author of the Eddie Flynn novels and a bunch of standalone thrillers as well. In 2018, The Liar won the Crime Writers Association Gold Dagger for Crime Novel of the Year. He's won the Thixton's of Peculiar. All of his novels have actually been nominated for awards or have won awards. He's a former lawyer. He was born and raised in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Now, we spoke to episode Uh, to Steve in episode 125, an episode that we called Author on the Verge of a Massive Breakthrough, because this was on the eve of the publication of his book 13, which, as you will hear, did quite well. Uh, His new book is The Devil's Advocate, and it's an Eddie Flynn novel. And the shout line for this is, he's won every trial because he's behind every murder. And we discuss writing really great hooky shout lines, which Steve just has this supernatural talent for. We talk about writing different points of view. We talk about the amazing changes in his life and career since we last spoke. And he's just a lovely bloke. Oh, it's just such a brilliant interview, folks. We really do spoil you on this show. Please be upstanding for this incredible interview with Mark and the lovely, lovely Steve Kavanagh. Steve Kavanagh, welcome back to the bestseller experiment, sir. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. I'm delighted to be back. This is one of my favourite podcasts, so thank you very much, Mark, for having me. Oh, bless you, sir. Thank you so much. And we're here to talk about your new book, The Devil's Advocate. Eddie Flynn is back, back, back. The Eddie Flynn, the former con artist turned lawyer. And I, the, your shout line, Steve, honestly, the shout line for this one, he's won every trial because he's behind every murder. And that's not Eddie, is it? Tell us, tell us more about this one. This is a, a death penalty case, isn't it? Yes, that's right. This refers to the the character who is really the de- the devil's advocate. Um, he's a district attorney called Randall Corn, 
who uh, operates in a small fictional town in Alabama, um, and he is obsessed with the death penalty. And he's based on the kind of an amalgamation of real characters, real people, um, because there are some district attorneys in America who live and breathe to execute people, believe it or not. As, as terrifying and as unbelievable as, as that may sound, it's absolutely true. So in this one, Eddie is in, uh, he's out of his comfort zone. He's not in New York. He's gone down to uh, down south to represent a young man who is on trial literally for his life. And he arrives and it's an entire hostile town against him. Everyone thinks his client is guilty. And meanwhile, Eddie and his new team are trying to get a grips in the case and defend this man. There are um, other characters. There's a character called the pastor who is uh, working away behind the scenes with something else much more dangerous and uh, much more evil going on behind the scenes. So it's a lot of good fun, this one. Randall Korn sounds like the villain in a Stephen King novel. Uh, is- <laughs> yeah, the Randall, Randall flag, you know, I'm a Stephen yes. King fan like you. So, you know, I steal from the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Why the hell not? All superb stuff. Now, you've become the master of the twisty turny novel, the master of the classic shout line. I mean, the shout lines on your books, um, you know, let's have a look. Uh, I mean, when we last spoke to you, it was just before the publication of 13. And the shout line for that was the serial killer isn't on trial. He's on the jury. Uh, the liar is it takes one to catch one twisted. Never let a murder get in the way of a good story. Um, this is a fifty-fifty. Your previous book, uh, two sisters on trial for murder. They accuse each other. Which will you believe? These are so hooky. These, I mean, how can anyone resist? Uh, is, uh, are these do these arrive fully formed, Steve, or do you really have to work on these? And if you do, tell us how you do it. Of course. Well, you know, most of the books start with that shout line. Um, the Devil's Advocate didn't. You know, we had to you know, rack our brains to come up with that one. Um, uh, and it took a lot of work for that. But most of them, that's the premise for the book. You know, I'm asking a question, um, and that's for me when I'm writing the book, but that's how I want to sell the book. Because w- w- before I wrote 13, I was, you know, um, my life changed after that book. And so it's very, it's good that I get to come back to talk about all yes. this. Because you had me on right before that book. Like, it was literally publication week. I'll never forget it now. Still very grateful you did, Mark. You had to have me on for that. It really helped. But what what I decided was, or what I realized was, it wasn't enough, I think, in this day and age, just to write what I thought was a good book. It had to be a book that other people would want to read. <laughs> this is crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. It's, it's that. I remember something John Grisham said, you know, I only write a book if I know it's a good story and a lot of other people are going to want to read this book. And I had sort of forgotten about the other, the other bit. So I, I wanted now going forward all my books to have a tagline on them and something, you know, if the reader sees that, you know, they make a noise, they go, Ooh, yeah. And they want to know more about it because uh, I think, you know, there's so many great books out there these days. I think I want to try and have something to engage the readers straight away before they've even opened the book. I want them to see something on the cover that intrigues them and hooks them in. And in terms of and why I come up with that, I don't know. Usually it's a question. It's like, <laughs> what if? 
or sometimes well, that, it's bringing two separate things together in an unusual way, like a serial killer on a jury. I mean, to me, it seems like, uh, and I might get a bit highfalutin here, but you know, I'm kind of a bit obsessed with th- theme and central dramatic argument in stories at the moment. It's, it's my big thing at the moment. And a lot of these do pose a dilemma. They do pose a big question that the story tackles. And I think perhaps that is the key, A, to figuring out what the, the theme is, what your book is actually about, what what will challenge your characters throughout the story, and coming up with a good hook. Uh, so are you aware of that as you're, as you're doing it? Not aware of theme at all when I'm writing. Not at all. There's a brilliant, um, you know, this is a great writing podcast. There's a brilliant interview with a writer called Tony Gilroy. Um, Tony he's on, Gilroy, fantastic. Right, he's an amazing writer. screenwriter. Yeah, and it's yeah, a yeah. brilliant conversation. He's on Brian Koppelman's podcast called The Moment. Oh, Brian's yeah. also a brilliant screenwriter. It's brilliant, yeah. And yeah. they're talking about this. And Tony, he says to Tony, what, how aware are you of theme? And Tony says, I'm not aware of it at all. You know, um, I'm I'm not shopping for the dream. I'm shopping for the mattress, which I think is a brilliant line and one I'm stealing from him. But so that I'm not aware of theme at all. When I finish the first draft, I'll go back and you'll I'll see things, you know, which are a theme. Um, uh, and normally there are issues I've dealt with in the book that I wanted to deal with, but I wasn't aware of the overall theme of them. And sometimes they tie together. And it was the same for The Devil's Advocate. There's quite a few themes in here about one of the themes that came up was the, the the confession poem published after the end of the Second World War by a, a priest um, about stand, when when is it right to stand up for someone and speak for someone and it's on lots of Holocaust memorials and it's you know when I when they came for the social unionists or social democrats I said nothing because I'm not a social democrat. When they came for the Jews, I said nothing is in my Jewish. When they came for the Catholics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, until, and it finishes with, um, and when they came for me, there was no one left to speak for me. And that's a theme that, that goes right throughout the book, but I wasn't conscious or aware of it when I was writing it, really. I was only in the second draft that I specifically referred to that, that question. When do you stand up? Because the book's told three different points of view, and some characters, obviously, like Eddie, they will stand up for someone. And other people, you know, they are more cautious of it. They have a lot to lose. And they're afraid. And we're all afraid of, of that. And Frietti fighting for people who he believes in has cost him dearly. So this question is, is it's a difficult one. It's one that's more and more relevant these days, I think. So that was obviously something in my mind, which just went in and peppered the book. But I wasn't entirely aware of it until I'd read the first draft and gone through and then added that went in in subsequent drafts the, the, to reinforce that theme. Wonderful. Excellent stuff. Do you find now that you're several books into the Eddie Flynn book, books, are you getting a much better idea of what it is that readers enjoy about Eddie? And is that something that you fold into your writing? Yeah, I think so. I think they like the interaction between Eddie and some of the other characters, like Harry Ford, people really like that relationship. And I've, I've introduced new characters into the series now. So Kate Brooks is a lawyer from New Jersey, and uh, she came in in Fifty Fifty. And there is a character called Block, who first appeared in my standalone novel Twisted, and she comes. She was uh, in Fifty Fifty, and now she's in The Devil's Advocate. So 
I'm building up a cast list slowly but surely. But from early reviews, people are really enjoying the interaction between these characters now. And they're starting to form an emotional attachment to them, which is brilliant. That's, that's all I could ever have hoped for, really. I love that you brought in the character, because Twisted was a standalone, but you brought brought the character. So you've, you've got the Steve Kavanagh universe. You've got a whole universe out there now. How, how do you keep track of that? Um, I don't, really. <laughs> so I will make mistakes. And then someone else will read it and say, well, you can't do that. Because you said something else in another book. And I say, okay, sorry about that. Thank you very much for pointing that out. So I, as I don't really, each book is designed to work as a complete standalone. So someone who's never read, read an Annie Flynn book or any of my books before can pick up any one and they will be to have just as good an experience as if it was the sixth book or seventh book they'd read. Um, so that's that's very important to me. Um, because I never want it to be as if there's a joke that people aren't getting, you know, something referred to in an earlier book that's coming back. And if you haven't read that earlier one, you're not getting that experience. I wanted everyone to try and have the same experience, really, when they're reading the book for the first time. Wonderful. Let's. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that you were on on the podcast before, and um, folks, that was episode one hundred and twenty five. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can go back and listen to that because it was such a fun interview. And as you say, I think it was the week of publication of thirteen, which is the book that just went wallop, just went absolutely everywhere. And huge congratulations on that. We were so delighted to see it do so well. What's let's can we talk about all the things that have changed since then, and and the biggest lessons. That, that you've learned since then? Yeah. Um, at that time, I think the first three Eddie Flynn books combined had sold about 10,000 copies. And now, on, you know, as before the, the next book comes out, before the Devil's Africa com- book comes out, we've sold over a million copies now. And 13 <gasps> itself has sold over 300,000 copies. So that's wow. a big change in my life. And... Uh, you know, so when I spoke to you, I was a, I was still a full time lawyer, and writing at night at my kitchen table. And yes. my life my life has changed immensely since then. So now I'm I'm no longer a lawyer. I was able to go uh, full time writing because of the success of Thirteen in particular. And now um, I I don't have a routine at all. <laughs> Whereas at a brilliant writing routine, now it's all over the place, especially with COVID. <laughs> Um, so it's there's a, there's been big changes, and uh, in terms of, of of my writing, I think I'm a better writer than I was before. I try to learn as much as I can through writing a book, and try and do something different. So I think I'm a better writer. Um, I'm a more content and happy person. Um, I'm not as tired as I used to be, and uh, I, I just have a much better quality of life now than I did then. So it's been a huge change for me. Wonderful stuff. I mean, folks, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, you'll see Steve is in his magnificent office, books everywhere. Uh, yeah, quite a change from the from the kitchen table. Does it give? Does, is that giving you that ability to close the door? You know, Stephen King in on writing talked about closing the door, having a space where people aren't moving through the house and making tea and coffee and stuff like that. Has, has that given you bigger space to think or do you still have the same kind of structural problems that you had before or, or character problems that we all face? 
Oh, I still have uh, probably more problems than ever before in terms of that. But because I think it gets harder, I, the more I the more I write each book, I think for me it's more difficult than the last one. That's the way I feel. I don't ever feel this is getting easier. I think this is getting harder for me every time. Um, but it, closing the door is great. But then, as we know, there'll be a, a dog barking or someone will come to the door and, you know, it, it's your concentration is broken. But I, it is great to have a space that's just for working. And I love that. And it does focus me when I'm here. Um, before uh, we moved to this house, uh, when I had given up work, I was writing in coffee shops. So I would leave the kids to school and I would go for a couple of hours to a coffee shop or a library. And I would sit there and write. And that was really good. That was really intense, focused time. Uh, when I'm in my office, I can kind of be in here in the morning and be here in the afternoon. And there's quite a bit of procrastin more procrastination goes on uh, in an office, I think, on my own. But apart from that, it's it's been great. It's brilliant to have your own space to work. And I work, I really enjoy. I enjoy being at my desk. And I want to be at my desk, which is important for me. I'm interested. I'm interested to to talk about this idea that it gets harder because I I can totally relate to that because every time you start some and I'm starting something new this week and I'm at the bottom of the mountain and I'm starting to push that boulder again and you start thinking, bloody hell, surely this gets easier at some point, but it really does. I think it's that thing of if you gain a little knowledge about something, you realise how ignorant you are about the whole subject as a whole. Is, is that Does that ring true? <laughs> completely, completely. And it's especially difficult for me the way I write. The beginning of a book is very difficult because I don't plan anything out mm. at all. Um, I'm a total of a rough idea and let's go and see what happens. And I will find, I spin my wheels very badly for the first like 20,000 words. Right. I will write, you know, like 10,000 words, stop, go back and rewrite all of that again at 20,000 words. And I'm just, I'm trying to get myself a solid base so I know this is a book that could be completed. I have a solid base here. I don't need to worry about this. I've established everything I need to do and act to act one, if you like, is kind of okay. That's not a disaster. And that gives me then the opportunity to go and fail and get something else wrong in the second act. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I just, I, I have the real anxiety, the first 20,000 words, and I really go over that and over that and hone it and edit it quite heavily which means I'm not making any progress. I'm still working on the one thing, but that's the way the way it's been for all of my books, really. And I recognize that at the start of my process. But every time I think, oh God, I should just go on, stop <laughs> going over and re-editing this, just keep going. But every time I find myself doing the same thing. In some ways, that's, that's both reassuring and terrifying. <laughs> it never gets any better. I remember when we last spoke as well. You were very, uh, you, you you were a great um, proponent of this idea of being part of a, a writers' community, particularly the crime writers' community. And do you find solace? You know, when you hit these walls, you, do you find solace in the community? Do, do you find that sharing these problems really really helps you sort of break through them? 
It doesn't really. I have to say, I've never really talked too much about my writing. I always keep it very private because I'm very private right. about what I'm doing. So I never really, that was, that's not something I ever do. But I do find solace in listening to other writers. For example, John Connolly, um, I'm, I know he's been on your show. And uh, has John has always wanted to throw out his first 20,000 words of every new book. Yeah. And has to physically resist himself from doing so and keep going. So to know that I'm in the same boat as someone of the caliber of John Connolly, there's solace in that. But I never really talk about my work with, with other writers when I'm writing it. I that just never I just never did that for me. Um okay. it's just a private thing. I don't know why. I think maybe it's it's if I tell someone about it, then it's not kind of it's not special anymore. I like having something good that I can really polish and go, there you go, look at that beautiful thing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when it's still, you know, covered in mud and it looks a bit weird, you know, that's not the time to be talking about it to anybody. You wait till it's in good shape before you do that. That's, yeah, no, I appreciate that. There's also something about if you start pitching something before it's ready, then you start seeing the faults in it. You start doubting yourself, the project, the whole, and the whole thing crumbles around you. So I, I, I do kind of understand where you're coming from that. I would like to talk to you about one particular craft thing because in your previous novel, Fifty Fifty, you have three point of view characters. You've got Eddie and Kate and someone just known as She, and She is the murderer. So we're in the head of the murderer, and they never identify themselves. Uh, you know, so you're kept guessing. <laughs> Was that fun or was that a complete nightmare? I'm just fascinated to know how you work with POV in that case. <laughs> it was both. It was both. Because the, 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 that she is one of the sisters in the book. And you don't. it's clear it's one of those two sisters, but you don't know which one it is. Yeah. So what made it fun was leaving little clues here and there in the narrative. For the reader, I wanted the reader, the way that book is entirely structured is the reader reads, reads a chapter and goes, Oh my God, it's her. I know it's that sister there. It's definitely her. And then they read another chapter and they go, Oh no, I got it all wrong. It's not, it's the other one. And it flips like that. Uh, not exactly chapter for chapter, but pretty much. So I liked leaving little false trails and little clues throughout that narrative. Um, also, but it was difficult in trying not to give away who it was. That was the real tricky thing. And it was it took a lot of thought into writing those chapters. So it was technically quite quite challenging. But um, I, I, I find a bigger challenge. There's a bigger challenge in that book. There's a whole sequence in that book, a whole section of the book, which takes place over the space of like, um, you know, two minutes. But it's like 50 pages. And it's two, two uh, series characters. So it's Block and Harry, who both get a knock on their door. And it's told through Harry's perspective and Block's perspective and the she perspective, because it's the she who's knocking on the door, he's going to kill one of them. And that whole section took weeks to really get right, because it's a, a little bit of a play on the, um, there's a, a sequence in Silence of the Lambs where there's a, a, a point of view switch with the door opening. It's in the yeah. book, it's in the movie, it's brilliantly well done. And I thought, yeah. can I... Can I take that, do it completely differently, but expand it hugely? And uh, that's what I tried to do with that. 
So again, that gave me the idea for it, but I'm doing it completely differently and it's a much longer section. So that took, that was the big technical thing with point of view in that book, in that sequence. And I've had a lot of good reactions from readers who have read that, who have been yeah. either shouting at me or have dropped the book or have been <laughs> screaming and have frightened pets and children. So that's that was a lot of fun. It was very rewarding to do that. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, when we last spoke, uh, you told us how you started out in screenwriting, then got rejected by Francis Ford Coppola for not, not being Irish enough. <laughs> any, uh, any any thoughts of returning to screenwriting? Because you've had, am I right in thinking you've had books options, stuff is in development? What's what's happening there? No, nothing is in development at all. Really? Um, oh. So, uh, screenwriting is something. Yeah, <laughs> screenwriting is something I would, I would, I would never, um, I would never say I'll never do that again. Uh, I enjoy it. The technical aspects of it, I think, you know, are a bit difficult for me now because it's so structured, and it's so you know you have to have and the formatting is something which I think I would need to get the hang of again. But I love screenwriting. Reading a brilliant screenplay is a marvelous and unique reading experience because mm. you're getting the movie. It's not a book, uh, and it's not you're not watching a movie, but you're seeing a movie in your head, and that's a yeah. that's a beautiful experience. Um, so yeah, I'll never rule it out uh, going back there. I might. You never know. Some if some fool wants to pay me to write something for TV, I'd be more than happy to take their money. So are you telling me nothing's been optioned of your stuff? I can't, I do what it is. I can't really say one way or another. But there's nothing in development. <laughs> uh, put it like that. <laughs> I know that's a, there's, there's a probably about 10 different things you could take from that. But unfortunately, yeah. that's all I'm allowed to say. That, that's fine. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for me, Steve. Wonderful. So um, what's next what's coming next from you is is there more eddie flynn will there be more standalones are you mixing it up like that or there will my my plan this which may go awry in spectacular ways is i have a standalone in my back pocket which i think is quite special i think it's by far the best thing i've ever written and i have another eddie flynn in the works now so uh, i don't know what's going to happen with either of them but um I'm I'm quite proud of that that standalone. I think it's I think it's something. Uh, if 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 I was hit by a bus, and, and that book was published, I think that might be the one that people remember me for. Put it like that. So I'm I'm quite proud of it. Uh, and there's more Eddie Flynn in the works as well, which I love. And I have big plans for Eddie Flynn um, in the future. There's going to be a lot more Eddie Flynn books. Um, and I I can see a couple of books ahead now with Eddie. I'm expanding that cast. Of characters even further. I have a, a character in mind to bring in to the series now, who I think is very special. Um, maybe just as special as Eddie. So I'm I'm really looking forward to doing that. Oh, that this is all don't get hit by a bus. Look both ways before crossing the road. Because you know, we we want to be these books are such treats. They're such wonderful thrill page turning wonders and it's been such a joy seeing since 13 just seeing everything you know explode around you it's just fantastic steve it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy so thank you so much for coming back on and let's do it again in a couple of hundred episodes yeah of course anytime you want me to go uh, when, when i come back on i'll have lost everything the books will be a total failure <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, 
I'll be broadcasting from from a hostel somewhere. But thank you, Steve. Speaks again soon. Bye bye. Real pleasure. Do you know they say that you got to work hard at your craft to be a successful author? But it also helps being a really lovely person, doesn't it? Hey, it must help you in life a bit. I just love that interview, Mark. Absolutely inspiring, brilliant, wonderful. And just some of the nuggets that, that Steve had to, to, to hear his story, to have, and that's what I love about the podcast, to document the, you know, before yeah. and after of what happened. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And the good news is since we recorded that, because um, we recorded that pre-publication, uh, his book, The Devil's Advocate, has been in the UK top 10 for two weeks at the time of recording. Wow. That's so, the Sunday you know, Times bestseller list, Sunday isn't it? Which is yeah. like the Absolutely. one. For anyone in the US, Canada, um, you're all very familiar with the New York Times bestseller list. Well, if you want to add to your list of milestones um, and get a bestseller in the UK, I think the Sunday Times bestseller list, is that the de facto, the kind of like most revered they, would you say or yeah well they take they take uh nielsen sales figures so it's it's based on yeah. Yeah. actual sales through the till it's the badge everyone wants as well as mm. amazon new york times etc so but yeah let's let's dive in there's so much to cover here um i mean absolutely blown away by the shout lines or as, as steve called them the taglines <laughs> i mean it's quite magical that in less than 10 words you can hook someone in so incredibly well. And yet we spend all of this time writing the other 80,000 plus words sometimes. <laughs> and yet it's sometimes the most important words are those first 10 words, which are on the front of the book or on the press release or read out on a podcast, which make people think, oh, I'm going I'm to read that book. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, Steve said very often for him, that's one of the first things. It didn't come with Devil's Advocate, but for a lot of his other books, that's the first thing that, that comes along. And um, not everyone can do that. That is a, a real special talent. Funny enough, we had a session on the Academy where we were looking at people's one-liners and blurbs. And as a group, we were sort of peer-reviewing them and, and suggesting you know, improvements and what worked and what different. It's really hard, really, really hard. And uh, Steve has this great knack for it. But I think this is because... Steve said he had this great revelation where he, where he said, you know what, I'm going to write books that people want to read. Which is, <laughs> I love that. I, I know it sounds kind of, kind of flippant, but you remember a few weeks ago, I kept banging on about the writer's commitment to the reader. To, and he wants to give them a good time and deliver on the promise of the premise. He wants to engage the reader straight away. That's... That's gonna, you know, that is your first step on the path to bestsellerdom, folks. You know, you're not writing to, you know, show off what a great prose stylist you are, or be, you know, get all highfalutin. If you want to tell a cracking story that's gonna have people flipping those pages, and then, and then, crucially, when they get to the end, they're gonna hand it to a friend and say, "You've got to read this." Why should I read this? Oh, well, you should read it because it's it's about a guy, this lawyer, who's won every trial, but that's because he's behind every murder. You know, know, you're doing the work for them. You know, know. You're, you're giving them that shout line that they pass on. It's absolutely it. brilliant. And, and I think, you know, playwrights know this. Playwrights know this because when they're writing their play, they know that they're going to be peering out to the audience <laughs> and seeing how many of them are on the edge of the seats. At worst, how many of them have fallen asleep? 
And as authors, we yeah, forget, right? <laughs> well, we've been there. We both, you know, we've, we've, we've sat in those seats in the plays as well. I mean, everyone's seen a, a cracking play and other ones, other ones, everyone's ever nap as well in one of them. But I think the, the interesting thing is, is that a playwright knows that there will be real people sitting in a room watching what they've created we kind of know as writers or authors, although we kind of forget this sometimes, that there are actual real people that are going to be reading our book. And it's so important to make that connection and realize that there are human beings that are going to be, you know, demanding that you keep their attention, that you make your endings of each of chapters page turners, that you, you know, have, have written a great story that keeps them on the hook. And the fact that Steve starts with, that incredible premise or that idea of the what if, as he calls it, is such a brilliant way to... So I would say, you know, yeah, write, actually writing the final book hook, as we call it in the Academy, and we've got a whole course on how to write book hooks in the Academy, but writing that that final version that goes on the book is, is a really hard thing to do. But writing anything, no matter how bad it is or how much it needs to be improved, that gets you writing from that place to start with is huge. And weirdly enough, I was, I've been working on, um, I've been plotting in quite a lot of depth, a, a, a novel that I'm working on at the moment. And oh, yes, this is news. I know, Here we it's go. new. Well, it's been going on for a while. I haven't talked about it, but you know what I did immediately after that Steve interview, I wrote, I've got my bullet journal out and I have a page here called book hooks. Because I thought, you know, I haven't actually, I've tried, I've played with it, but I haven't actually like specifically said, right, what is that? Because hearing Steve's, all of his, you're just like, oh, that's so good. That is so good. And it's like, how can I write something even approaching anywhere near, like even remotely, (laughs) edge of the shore, wherever, but just, just gets that down because I felt I'm right in that place at the moment where I need to define that hook because- because it's so important. It is your elevator pitch in many ways, isn't it? To anyone you talk about your book with, but Steve is the past master. And is it any coincidence is that he's now sold a million books? I don't think so. Well, let's, let's just review <laughs> that, that little statistic. The first three books combined sold 10,000 copies, which by the way, not bad. That's probably above average for a lot of books, a, a lot of authors. A lot you know, of authors to be very happy three, with that. Three books into their career. Yeah. That's not, you've probably, you're, you're probably earning, and that's UK sales. So, uh, you know, you're probably mm. earning your, your advance back. That's all very good. But now he sold over a million and one book alone, 13, which is the book that came out just after, you know, we, we last spoke to, to Steve, sold over 300,000 copies. You know? No. Let's just let's yeah. just sit for a minute, Mark, and imagine. Yeah, let's just yeah. Let's, let's just let's just oh. bask. Let's imagine that instead of lying, <laughs> like you know, where you see those those you know, like American Beauty, and she's lying in the uh, <laughs> on the bed with all the roses, and there's other shots of people who steal money from banks, and they're lying in all the <laughs> the money. Imagine lying in a, you know, what would that look like to be lying in three hundred three hundred thousand copies of your book? I mean, that would be how big a room would that be? I can't even begin to think. How how many books does W.H. Smith have, for example, or Waterstones? Well, you know, yeah, it's that's interesting. Yeah, it's probably a shop full of books, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we should we should find out. So, okay, someone from Waterstones or someone in the U.S. smart uh, or chapters in Canada, get in contact with us and tell us what the average number of books is in the average size bookstore, so that we can then attribute that visually. 
Yeah, that, it, could be, yeah. it could be three water stones or something yeah, like that. Or how many, yeah. how many books would it take to fill every seat in or, or to fill, say, Wembley Stadium? That would be a lot, obviously. But again, <laughs> or a tennis court, something that we can all visualize just so we can work it out. But yeah, 300,000, that's quite mind-blowing. But I mean, it's only going to go one way for Steve now, really. I mean, he joked about like, oh, I'll come back on the show when I'm in a, you know, in a hostel and talking about how it didn't work out. But we know, Steve, we know it's only going one way because you've got behind you what we call momentum, writer's momentum. We talk about it a lot in the academy. It's like the wind's in your sail. As a sail is up and the wind blows, the wind will always but, blow. But what, what's, what's, what's always in, uh, encouraging to hear from authors of Steve's stature is that it's not really getting any easier. You know, like I said, it's reassuring and it's terrifying, but it, it yeah. just shows that Steve isn't just blithely knocking these out. He is pouring his blood, sweat and tears into every story because he knows he now has expectation. He knows that he wants to deliver a great story. You know, he Steve is part of this great crime community and I see him all the time recommending other people's books and you know mm. talking about the, the 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 genre that he absolutely adores and loves so he wants to keep delivering to the standard that he himself has come to expect and it ain't easy you know so uh yeah. you know I salute on, him for that on the flip side of that though I think that once you've got an audience once you've got an audience you actually do raise your game mm. because you have to start believing that, well, I obviously can do this because people want to want to read more of my books. And what then happens is you, you do up your game. So you do get this kind of power up and it is a, it is a very important form of accountability. We talked last week on the podcast about the importance of accountability. I mean, accountability for a successful author comes from continually trying to deliver the very best book they can write for their existing audience and all the new people that will then discover them. So Again, accountability exists when you've had success. It often doesn't exist pre-releasing your first book or pre the first book that you have that's successful. And so I'm, I think it's a great problem to have. You know, I mean, I think most people would like to have like a million readers out there who are like kind of saying, come on in, come on, Steve, let's deliver the goods again. I think the biggest challenge for most authors, and we see this in the music industry all the time, is like, do you stick to what worked? You know, do you stick to what you know, or do you go out on a limb and try something completely different? And and that's one of the biggest challenges because I think if an author's written is very successful and they've written like you know twenty of the similar kind of books, they might think, well, I actually want a bit of a change now. But that's a whole conversation for really another podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can I can talk I, I can relate to this a bit because you know I've. I've got my second book in a series coming out soon and I've written the first draft of the third one. Yeah. So there is that little thing at the back of your brain thinking there is expectation. People are going to expect certain things. And that's why hearing from readers has been really useful because they've told me the stuff they enjoyed. And that doesn't mean I have to do more of the same, but it gives me an idea of what works and what I can lean into but I also want to surprise and bring new stuff to the table as well, and 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 you know uh, raise raise the bar a little bit, and that's what you know Steve has been doing time and time again with his books, and you know with each one of them, the expectation goes up, but he keeps keeps delivering. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely brilliant. I find it fascinating as well that you know again we find another lawyer 
who's become an amazing best-selling crime writer. And <laughs> it does it does link to this idea of, you know, we say it a lot and we'll say it again, write what you know. Um, and I think a lot of times people want to escape reality. So they go and write something which is, you know, fantasy or something which is maybe completely outside of a world that they know because they like to live in that place, which is awesome. And that, that, and that requires incredible imagination. But often the best stories are right on the fingertips of things that we've experienced um, or variations of things that we've personally experienced because that's where the writing from the heart, like the authenticity comes from, isn't it? Yeah. And I think what, uh, I mean, Steve spoke about this when we, we first spoke to him in episode 125, the link in the show notes, um, is that he's, a, he's a, you know, he stands up for people who don't necessarily have a voice. You know who who need representation, who needs someone to to uh, to to stand up for them, and uh, you know that's that's a great hook for anyone reading a book. You know we want to stick up for the the little guy, the person who who needs you know that that helping hand, and um, and you you again I you know you see this with Steve on his social media. He's always championing a new author, uh, new voices, and what have you. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, that again. Write what you know doesn't mean oh, I have to be a lawyer to write a legal thriller. Of course, but it, I think if you can say, I'm someone who understands that there are people who don't feel they have recourse to the law, so maybe I'm going to create a story where they can find that, where they can find their voice, where they can find a champion. Um, you know, I, I think that that's where Steve's coming from. I think even if he wasn't a lawyer. He'd be writing these books, if you know yeah. what I mean, because it's it, it's in him. It's in you him. Know? Yeah. Well, it's also write what you know. It's not just about your profession or or no, no, what no, you've no, no. what you've experienced in life. It can be actually the emotional response to something that you've experienced, and having felt it, having felt truly felt something, means you can really get into the mind of the character, or you can transfer what you experienced into that character, which makes it really real. So it can sometimes be even just an event in your life that you experienced something or you felt something in a certain way. That's right what you know as well. So there's so many, so it's just about having that focus on thinking about as you write, like what should I be pulling into the story here that I've experienced? I don't have to reveal my own experience through that, but at the same time, I think I really do think that is such a massive key to what connects readers to to authors. It's that authenticity of the things that are written from the heart, from a reality. So, um, but on that note, I mean, Steve also said that he's he's it's very rare that he can kind of, if ever, write the book completely. And he always kind of said he, he spins his wheels. That first part of his novel, the first 20K, he said, gets he gets anxious about it, has to go back and rewrite the first 10,000 words. I've not heard, that we had other authors talk about that before? I don't seem to recall people like stopping and kind of almost rewriting or doing a second draft of the intro of the book or act one, as Steve calls it, um, partway through the book. Uh, I'm trying to recall after 330 yeah, I don't, episodes. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I know that people get stuck. Now, here's the thing. People get stuck at that 20,000. We've heard that. And then it's about how do you keep going? And it's almost like the way Steve deals with it is he goes back. Instead of trying to get past the 20,000, he goes back and he says, right, 
I'm going to tidy this all up so I, I can get a bit of more. It's like the ultimate running jump that Michael Connolly told us about, right? The idea of rewind a bit and write. Well, he goes right back to the beginning and kind of like edits from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that thing of discovering what the story is actually about. And I think once you have that, once you have your ending and have an idea about your protagonist and where they're going, then then you've got a much greater handle on the story. So maybe maybe that's that's what about. I mean, this is the thing. There's no one way of doing there this. There isn't, right? You know, there's no single one More way proof. of doing this. More um, proof. Everyone yeah. has the right. Whatever works for you, folks. But at the same time, I think rewriting those 20,000 words, those are the most important 20,000 words because you could have the best 20,000 words at the end of the book, but if the first 20,000 don't get people to the end of the book, then those are kind of lost words. So I guess in some ways having those having those twenty thousand words up front written, I mean they obviously we know that they should they should all be as good as they can, but particularly first line, first page, first chapter, first act. Reel them in. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Um so to all those novelists out there that think it gets easier as you start writing. <laughs> So it's it's a slightly depressing thought, but actually, actually, it's 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 not that it gets maybe harder, but the difference between that is it just maybe doesn't get as easy as people think it gets. I think that's the most important thing. No, no, but what you have, what you have, having been through it a few times, you start telling yourself, okay, I can do this. Yeah, this is problem solving. This is all this is. You know, I've done this before. Uh I mean, there are occasions, and I saw an author on Twitter just this week who said, and they'd had a terrible year, terrible lockdown, tragedy in the family kind of thing, and they delivered a book and they kind of knew in their hearts it wasn't up to the usual standards. And so they've put the book to one side and their agent and publisher has been, okay, look, we understand you've had a terrible time. Let's put this to one side. You can work on something new. So that does happen. That's when real life comes and, you know, whacks you over the head. Um, but I think if you're in your prime, as, as Steve is, you know, you can look at these and go, okay, I've been here before. I've overcome these problems before. This is about problem solving. Uh, I've now got the experience and the tools to sort of step back and, and fix this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think what Steve is really saying is the writing doesn't get easier. Writing a cracking story doesn't magically get easier but what does get easier is you get more confidence you get more self-esteem you believe in yourself you've got an audience that you can write to so you've got accountability i mean that is hard but it's good it makes it easier to write because you know you've got people out there waiting for something and and you've started to build that thicker skin of you know critic the critical side the criticism the getting the editor's notes back all those things you've been through it before that side of things gets easier because you become more experienced but the writing itself is always going to be a challenge. And we want that to be a challenge because otherwise if writing were easy, it'd kind of be boring, wouldn't it? That's how we grow as writers. It always has to be challenging. So brilliant. Well, well then, thank- it, then, it, then, it, then it becomes, then it becomes you know, box ticking exercise. Well, exactly. And, that, and people would then just give up so. writing because they'd think, oh, I want to do something more interesting. So thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the show and continuing this incredible story. And we look forward as well to seeing what happens next in your incredible journey. And, um, yeah, just to finish up, I guess, Mark, we should, uh, mention again, if you want to join a 200 word challenge, if you want to 
start on that journey that Steve started a number of years ago and has now got to overselling a million books, maybe your journey will start with the 200wordchallenge.com. Um, so pop along there, sign up if you want to get the daily writing habit. Or maybe your journey will continue and evolve in the Bestseller Academy. And remember that applications for September close it on the 3rd of September. So please pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and send in your application. It only takes 10 minutes and we look forward to hearing from you. Mr. Stay, where can people find out about the Bestseller Experiment on social media? Come and find us on Facebook. We are Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP or come to bestsellerexperiment.com. Everything you want is there. You can contact us there. All sorts of fun stuff. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on your podcast catcher. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Big thank you as always to our editors, Dave and JD. Absolutely. Mark, absolutely brilliant episode. Thank you so much for the incredible interview you did with Steve. And um, all I have to say to finish off is a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.